Spiritual Sword Media presents The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. There are two things I want to share with you tonight as we think about this period of time spoken of as the Judges, and really the book of Judges covers a period of about 320 to 350 years. God's people had been delivered out of Egyptian bondage. They had, as you, as you well know, in the book of Joshua, they had entered and settled in the land of Canaan, that land that Moses described as flowing with milk and honey. God was to have been the king over his people. Unfortunately, they rejected him as their king. And so the first thing I want us to talk about for just a moment or two has to do with Israel's rejection of God, their abandonment, if you please, of Almighty God. Really what they did, they abandoned the sovereignty of God. And when we talk about the sovereignty of God, what we're emphasizing is that God is overall. In Psalm 99 at verse 1, the psalmist said, The Lord reigneth. God is over all things. In Psalm 47, in verses 2 as well as in verses 7 and 8, the psalmist emphasizes the fact that God is a great king above all the earth. Down in verses 7 and 8, again, he emphasizes this same truth and points out that God is a great king above all the nations. Well, particularly, he was to have been the king over his people. As a matter of fact, when you have a kingdom, you have a king. And God had entered into a covenant relationship with his people, and thus they were to have adhered to his will. Two things I want you to think about in connection with this point. First of all, note if you would, God's care for Israel. Go back to the book of Exodus in Exodus chapter 19. Moses had been called upon to lead the people of God out of the land of bondage. God's people had been delivered out of Egyptian bondage. Pharaoh and his army had perished in the sea. And so we read about that victorious song, that anthem of praise offered by Moses, the children of Israel, as a result of their deliverance from Egyptian bondage. And so in chapter 19, God reminded Moses what he had done on behalf of of the children of Israel. He said in verse 3, You have seen what I have done unto the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you unto myself. God had been very gracious unto the children of Israel. Because of his goodness, because of his care, he delivered them out of Egyptian bondage. Go back and read the early part of the book of Exodus. And God points out that he had seen their tears, he had heard their groanings, and thus, he interposed or intervened on their behalf and delivered them out of Egyptian bondage. And he used Moses, his great leader and lawgiver, to bring this all about. And so we think about his care for Israel. But also in chapter 19, we read of God's covenant with Israel. And I think it's important for us to realize that God entered into a covenant relationship with his people. And so in, in verses 5 and following, he said, Now therefore, if you will keep my commands... And obey my word, or keep my covenant, and obey my word. You shall be unto me a peculiar treasure above all the earth, 
for all the earth is mine. You'll be unto me a holy nation. Well, God had set these people apart for himself. They were to have been his special class of people, this holy nation of people. That's, that's the covenant relationship that God enjoyed with the children of Israel. Sadly, they will later turn their back on Jehovah God. But in chapter 20, we read of God Almighty giving the Ten Commandments to Moses. And we think about Moses going up into Mount Sinai and receiving these Ten Commandments from the hand of Almighty God. These commandments were both vertical and horizontal in nature. And these commandments underscored the covenant relationship that God enjoyed with His people. Later in the life of, of Moses, over in the book of Deuteronomy, the latter part of Deuteronomy in chapter 30, for example, Moses would set before the children of Israel both blessings and cursings. And what he said, in effect, was this. If you do what God has said, he'll bless you. If you ignore what God in heaven has said, he will curse you. He said, I've set before you life and death. Choose life that you may live. Sadly, they made some fatal mistakes throughout their history. So, in Judges 21, verse 25, the Bible says, In those days there was no king in Israel. When the writer there speaks of the fact that there was no king in Israel, he's talking about the fact that they did not recognize Jehovah God as their king. Now you can turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 8, and you'll read of God's people asking for a king. And God had said to Moses that there'll come a day when they're going to ask for a king. And they were to... They were to appoint or anoint a king that God would ultimately choose. But nonetheless, God was their king. He was the one to reign or to rule over them. But sadly, they rejected him. And so having said that, I want you to now think with me in the second place of Israel's rebellion against God. Now the Bible says in those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. The first thing I want you to think about with me is, is this point. The standard is God's law. During the days of the judges, as a matter of fact, during the Mosaic dispensation, there was a law. That law was the law of Moses. We talk about the Ten Commandments given on Mount Sinai. And those commands were to, were to let, they were, they were given to legislate the behavior of the children of Israel. Some of those commands dealt with Israel's behavior toward God. And then there were commands that, that related to their behavior with one another. But nonetheless, they had certain laws that were given for their well-being. Isaiah, some years later, would write in Isaiah chapter 34 at verse 16. He said, Seek ye out the book of the Lord and read. There is no way God's people can know what His law is without spending time in this book. Now, Joshua was the successor to Moses. And over in the book of Joshua chapter 1, God calls upon Joshua to succeed Moses, his great leader and lawgiver. And he sets before Joshua, first of all, the purpose of this law. And that purpose is reflected in verse 8 of chapter 1. He said if he would observe to do according to all that was written in the law, he said he would prosper and have good success 
Is God interested in my well-being? The answer to that would be absolutely yes. Is God interested in your well-being, in your happiness, in your prosperity, and in your success? Again, the answer is a resounding yes. Now, when we talk about success, we're not talking primarily about material or physical success, but what we're really emphasizing is spiritual success. God is interested in His people prospering spiritually. The reason He has given His law is that we might prosper spiritually. The law of Moses was intended to govern the children of Israel. Joshua was encouraged to meditate on the law both day and night, according to verse 8 of chapter 1. In so doing, God said, you'll have good success. And so the purpose of the law, well, what about the law today? We talk about the law of Christ. You and I, we live under what's called the law of Christ, Galatians 6, verse 2. It is called the perfect law of liberty in James 1, verse 25. This law legislates our behavior under the Christian dispensation. Well, in order for us to know what God would have us to do, what do we have to do? We have to spend time in this book. As Isaiah said, seek you out the book of the Lord and read. You'll never know what God expects from you if you do not spend time reading and studying and meditating on His truth. That's why we have to spend an inordinate amount of time in this book that we call the Bible. We need to spend time in each and every book of the Bible, 66 books in both the Old and New Testaments. Each and every book has something to say to us. There is... There is a divine purpose behind the Bible. So, the purpose, the intent of Scripture. As a matter of fact, Paul points out the purpose or intent of Scripture. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, he said that the Scripture is inspired of God, and the reason we have Scripture is that we may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. God's Word thoroughly equips us to serve Him in His kingdom. But now I want you to think about the parameters of law. What about the parameters of the law? We talk about the law given to the children of Israel. Well, when God dispensed His law into the children of Israel, He did not, he did not give them the prerogative to just choose what they wanted to, to observe and what they did not want to observe but rather they were to honor His Word fully and completely. In Joshua chapter 1 at verse 7, we talk about the parameters of divine law. In chapter 1 verse 7, God said to Joshua He was not to turn to the right hand or to the left. In other words, He was not to deviate to the right or to the left. He was to, say, he was to stay central to what the Word of God said. Now in the Scriptures we have numerous exhortations given unto us that we're not to add to nor take from what the Word says. We talk about the parameters of this Word, parameters of law. Let me give you a couple of passages. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2, Moses said on behalf of God, Add not unto my word, neither shall you diminish aught from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God. Moses here was simply saying to the children of Israel, you're not to add to or take from what I've given you. In Proverbs chapter 30 at verse 6, we have the sacred writer there emphasizing again that we're not to add to God's word. He said, add not unto my word, lest he reprove you and you be found a liar. And so again, this idea of not adding to or taking from. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul said we're not to go beyond what is written. And the idea here is that we are to stay within the parameters or the scope of Scripture. We're to honor the Word of God. And then also in Revelation, chapters 20, in Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19, John closes out this book of inspiration by emphasizing the importance of honoring the Word of God. And the sum and substance of verses 18 and 19 in Revelation 22 are this. You're not to add unto the things which are written in this book, neither are you to take from what is written in this book. Now somebody might say contextually he's talking about the book of Revelation, and he is. But there are numerous passages of Scripture that set forth the same idea. What we're talking about is we have a pattern, a body of law that we're to observe, that we are to honor. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, Paul said that we are to hold fast the form or the pattern of words which have been delivered. And, and again, the idea is that we're to honor the parameters of divine law. Now, let's note another point. We said the standard is God's law. But what we find in Judges 21-25 is the senseless behavior of Israel without God's law. When they divorced themselves from the law of God, problems erupted. Well, what kind of problems? Well, first of all, I would suggest that any time we choose to ignore the law of God, we're going to face a multiplicity of problems. In, in the book of Proverbs, in chapter 29, verse 18, the wise man said in the long ago, where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. What he's saying there is that when there are no prophetic visions, the people cast off restraint. And here's, here's how we could make application to that. When people do not have the Word of God governing their lives, when they choose to ignore this divine standard, this law of God, then people are going to cast off restraint. They're not going to be governed by anything. And when you, fa when you fail to have law governing people, anarchy is the result. And so, what are some of the problems that occur when people choose to ignore the law of God? Let me just cite for you three problems that will occur when people choose to ignore divine law. I said that the theme of our lesson, the danger of living without law. The danger of living without law is reflected, number one, in the problem of immorality. Now look at our country today. We talk about cause and effect. And there are effects in our country today because many, many people in our nation no longer look at the Bible as the absolute standard of authority. They no longer look as, at this book as the law of Almighty God. Now the Bible says in Judges 21-25, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. You see, if you just expunge the Word of God from, from society, don't be surprised when immorality raises its head. Let me give you a second problem, and that is idolatry. Now go back, 
go back and look at, at Judges chapter 2. In Judges chapter 2, we have a statement made about Joshua and the elders that outlived him. The Bible says that the people served the Lord during the lifetime of Joshua as well as the lifetime of the elders that outlived him. But then the Bible says there arose another generation after them that knew not the Lord nor yet the great works which he had done for them in Israel. Now how did that happen? Let me tell you how it happened. Mamas and daddies, mothers and fathers did not fulfill their God-given responsibility of sitting down and talking to their sons and daughters about the Word of God. And so what happened? Well, just read Judges chapter 2. The problem, God's people went into idolatry. Read the book of Judges over and over again. You have this cycle. You have God's people living in sin. Oppression would come forth. As a result of that oppression, they would begin to cry out to God. And because of His mercy and His pity, He would raise up a judge to deliver them. Things would go along fairly well for a period of time. And then what would happen? They'd go back to their old ways. And so that cycle would then repeat oppression and then deliverance over and over again throughout the book of Judges. God's people forsook Him. Chapter 2 explicitly states that they went into idolatry, and yet God had said, you're to have no other gods before me. How did that happen? Well, they ignored God as their king. They ignored His word. And so what happened? Well, idolatry. How then does that apply to us today? Well, over in 1 John chapter 5, verse 21, John said, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now somebody might say we live in America and America's not an idolatrous nation. Well, it may not be idolatrous in the sense that the children of Israel began serving the Baals and began serving any number of, of gods made of wood and stone and graven art, etc. But we have our gods. As a matter of fact, when we talk about the gods of our nation, those gods are in the form of money and materialism. And many families have been sacrificed on the altar of money and materialism in our nation today. Let me also take it a step further. When we talk about this, this idea of idolatry, I said a moment ago that we live in a day and age when people want to be politically correct. I read a survey not long ago. I, I should have kept it. It was in the Commercial Appeal. A survey was done in our nation, and, and the, the survey was, was basically an attempt to find out what people thought about the various religions that have emerged in our country. And the idea was, do you think that people can go to heaven serving other gods or serving other religions? And we talk about we're not an idolatrous nation. I would beg to differ. Did you know that sociologists call America a post-Christian nation? Let me tell you how far down the tracks we are in this country. There are people and there are large percentages of people in our country today that will tell you that you do not have to believe in the one true living God to go to heaven. That you can serve Buddha, you can serve, you can serve Muhammad, you can engage in some far out eastern religion and you will find tranquility and peace and that place called heaven. 
that nirvana or utopia. Well, listen to what the Bible says. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, that is an exclusive way. I am the truth, exclusive truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, the Bible says, Neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now we say that this is a Christian nation and yet sociologists tell us that we're living in a post-Christian era. We say we believe the Bible and yet we want to advocate that a person can, can live any way he or she chooses. They can serve any God they choose. They can identify with any kind of religion that comes down the pike and everything's okay. Well... The fact of the matter is, there's just one way to be saved. There's just one body in which people are saved. That's the church. The only way people can be saved is in Christ. And this idolatrous way of thinking that we can just identify with any and every religious institution that comes down the pike is false. Look at how many people in our society today have embraced Buddhism. Look at Islam and its threat to America. And I would suggest Islam is a major threat to this country. Now we, we can ignore it if we want to. But they're doing everything within their power. Adherents to Islam are doing everything within their power to convert people. There are a lot of people that have converted to Islam. Let me tell you what, that is nothing more than a pagan institution pagan to the core Buddhism it's not going to save anybody I mean these guys out in Hollywood they may think it's fashionable to be a Buddhist and these people in our country today that are identifying with with the nation of Islam or with the teaching of Islam they may think that, that that's the way to go but I'm telling you the Bible says if you want to be saved the only way to be saved is in the Word of God. Let me give you a third thing that results. When people turn a deaf ear to the Word of God, we talk about the senseless behavior of Israel without God's law. Well, it's reflected in immorality. It is reflected in idolatry. And finally, it is reflected in their inclinations. Look at what is said in verse 25. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Let me just ask, when, when in the history of the Israelite nation did God ever tell his people, listen, you just do what you want to do. You decide how you want to live. You decide how you want to serve me. You decide how you want to worship me. And listen, that's okay. When did God, when did God ever give them that right? You know when he gave them that right? Never. Never. God never gave Israel the right to do what was right in their own eyes. They were doing what was right in their own eyes of their own prerogative. They rejected God and the result of that was, hey, since God's not our king, we can do what we want. That's the way a lot of people think in our world today. And we talk about the inclinations 
of the hearts and lives of people today. Here's what Solomon said in Proverbs 14, verse 12. There is a way which seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. It may have very well been the case the children of Israel thought what they were doing was right. Little did they know that they were headed for major trouble. Let me give you another passage of Scripture. Look over in the book of Proverbs chapter 28, verse 26. Sometimes I hear people talking about, well, I just feel in my heart this. Or I just think in my heart of hearts that God would allow this, or God would condone that, or God wouldn't mind this, or God wouldn't mind that. Here's what Solomon said. There are a lot of people in our country today, they need to hear this, word, this, this passage of Scripture. Solomon said, He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. When people get to the point that they're doing what is right in their own eyes, they are fools. How do I know that? Because that's exactly what the Bible says. You show me a nation of people that get to the point where they're going to do what's right in their own eyes, and I'll show you a nation of people that are foolish. Now what about America tonight? I think we could make a case that our country tonight is steeped in immorality. We are steeped in idolatry. And we are steeped in this inclination that we're going to do what's right in our, own, in our own eyes, come what may. Here's what we need to understand. We may think that way, but I can assure you we will pay a heavy price for that. Daniel said in chapter 4, verse 32, The Most High rules in the kingdoms of men. God is over all. He is in control. He is the sovereign king of this universe. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. Go back and read Daniel chapter 2. When Daniel interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream, Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. Do you think Nebuchadnezzar was a powerful man? You better believe it. And guess what happened to Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon? Let me tell you what happened to them. They fell to the Medes and the Persians. Were the Medes and the Persians, were they great? Did they make contributions during the history of, of, of their nation? Well, the answer would be yes. But guess what? They gave way to the Grecian Empire. Greece was a glorious empire. We talk about the glory of Greece. But guess what? Greece gave way to the Romans. What makes us think that we're going to be here as a nation of people 200 years from now? I don't know if we will or not. But I know one thing. If we choose the course that Israel chose in the long ago, we've got trouble ahead. It doesn't take an Einstein to realize that. What our nation needs to do is turn back to the Word of God. To realize that this book and this book alone is the standard. This is the only book that is the standard for the hearts and the lives of people. In our country today, if we were to, if we were to remove all law, problems, grave problems would erupt. In our nation tonight, we are doing everything within our power to remove the Word of God from our lives. And what I want to say is we're going to face 
a terrible price for that. Hosea wrote, I said just a moment ago that the children of Israel, they were bankrupt spiritually. God said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge in chapter 4, verse 6. Later he would say, they have sown to the wind and they will reap the whirlwind. We may one day reap the whirlwind of what we're doing today. We need to call people back to the Bible. And that's our plea. What we want to do is change the hearts and lives of people. You know how the best way to change the face of our nation is the gospel? That's the only way to change the course of this nation. Somebody says, well, people, people don't care. People aren't interested. That may be the case. There may be some people don't care. There may be some people aren't interested. But I can tell you this, there are some people that are interested. And there are some people that care. And there are some people that have honest and good hearts. What we have to do is find them. So we sow the seed. And ultimately, Isaiah said in the long ago, my word will not return unto me void. Do you believe that? The danger of living without law is reflected in Judges 21, verse 25. My appeal is, let's go back to the Bible. Let's be people of the book and let's call people back to the Bible. Let's call people in this country back to God's holy word. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again and to see video archives, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Fastened to the rock which cannot move. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love.